0: Body, Mind, Spirit Radio, your life connection to the information for a healthy body, an enlightened mind, and a renewed spirit.
1: Hello, everyone, and welcome to Beautiful Earth, where we celebrate our connection to our body, to the earth, to our food, to our sexuality, to. All parts of life that in the ordinary is the extraordinary, and in beautiful earth we know that as we become more ourselves, we more that our inner work allows us to be of greater service to all those around us, to serve our community, to to help others, and that inner work is not a selfish thing, but something that can allow us to be of greater. Uh, greater expression, greater service to all those around us. So welcome and thank you for listening to Beautiful Earth. Last month, if you didn't get a chance to listen, I had the joy and honor of interviewing Sasha Farms. And I brought on three people, Dorothy, Monty, actually four people, I'm sorry, um, Dorothy, Monty, Brees, and Sophie. And um, I really wanted to know what gave them the courage to start a sanctuary and teach people about their food and rescue all these animals and create a space where people could really ask you know what it where where is the food coming from and and um is is am i okay in my heart about the way animals are treated and um, Sasha Farms is out in Manchester, and I just loved some of the answers that I got. Like it just, I love doing interviews. I mean, there's so many amazing people in Michigan. I am just always blown away by the wealth of um, wisdom that is held in people here. It just, I, I, I just. And this was definitely another example of that. So, when I asked Dorothy what gave her the courage to start the sanctuary, to give up her day job, and to create the space for, for uh, you know, hundreds of bone animals, she said, um, it wasn't courage. She she goes, she said, matter of fact, well, you got to listen to the interview. It was so sweet. She goes, it's just, I saw a need and I met it. And, um, that that was really inspirational for me. There, there was such a simplicity and directness in her answer. And then when Monty spoke about some of the things that are happening in factory farming, and his experience with that, a quote that I really loved from him was, um, "There's more suffering in a gallon of milk than there is in a pound of steak." And he really explains why that is. It's um, it's just good to know where where your food's coming from and um and what's happening and you know that's actually a way to connect deeper to life right so it's not about shaming you or saying oh now you've got to um eat perfectly but when you find out where your food's coming from you find out even what you know what uh area the the of michigan or the united states your food's coming from it allows you to bond closer to life to have a a bond to the space that you live in and um So whether you really want to change your eating habits or not, finding out about your food is a way of feeling that connection. Actually, feeling how supported you are when you when you really see the the incredible work that had to go into eating that packaged sandwich or um, eating that drinking that um, tea that you're drinking. it, It really gives you a sense of how much is going into you staying alive that you're not just on this earth but of this earth and that there's all these factors that are going into you just you just thriving it's like it's hard not to feel loved and it's like kind of the symptom of it when you start exploring that it's like wow all of this to just have this this tea in my hand or this packaged packaged sandwich all these beings all these people all this work had to go into that and then and then it invites you into gratitude because you start going wow, there, there's there's so much that, that I could just dismiss all these things that are around me because I really want the bigger house or I want this condition to change in my life. And as you allow, just even through food, you allow that gratitude to see where it came the things that you buy at the grocery store, really seeing what farm that came from and what land that came from and what trucks brought it there and what people put it in the grocery store and what people planted that food and where did those seeds come from. And when you begin to sense those those connections that are already there and then you go into gratitude, like I said, that takes you into really a deeper experience of life or the universe or creation or God, whatever your word is for it. So when I interviewed Sasha Farms with Monty and Dorothy, it was really inspiring to hear how they, you know, they didn't know the how. They didn't know how the whole farm and everything was going to unfold. But what they did know is there was a need and they met it. What they did know that there was this whispering on their heart and they followed it, you know, because our our intuitive guidance, our gut guidance, it's it's just never going to give us step two, three, and four, right? It's only going to give us the next step. And you actually cannot feel that step if maybe you're thinking your answers are outside of you. A big thing to take into maybe a nature walk or just to sit, say, I have the answers within me. And even though your mind will say, no, you don't, you, you know, maybe your mind's really cruel and say, no, you don't, you're stupid, or no, you don't, you know, you've messed this up 10 times. You know, the mind can be really, really mean. But if you just ask that mind <laughs> to be quiet for a moment or just, it, it's just, okay, there you are, mind, it's okay, and you go, I have the answers within me, and you sit still for a moment or you go for a walk around your neighborhood, I have the answers within me. That really invites you to feel your gut and to feel your heart. And as you practice that, it's a you know, simple in principle, advanced in practice. As you practice that, then life begins to change incrementally, moment by moment. See, everyone's looking for that big bang for things to change, and they really don't. When I bring on, I just really, I, I'm truly, I hope you can feel it from me. I'm really excited to bring on Brian. It's just, his energy is wonderful, and he's, his book about John Fetzer is, it's a really incredible story and an incredible journey. Another, it's, it was so inspiring reading it, and it really, um, I'll, I'll get into that more, but I'm just giving you a little appetizer right now. <laughs> so back to moment-to-moment listening. Um, as you do that, like I said, some, very simple. But advanced in practice because it really takes doing that right four or five six times a day. You know, even just three times a day would make a big change. Stopping, taking a breath. I have the answers within me, and what is my gut telling me? What is my heart telling me? And breaking that hypnotic conditioning that says my answers are in um, maybe a psychic or maybe a um, this this book or maybe so and so knows better than me. You definitely can receive reflection. You know, you go in the mirror and you look in the mirror and you get a reflection, right? So it reflects back you, but it's you are still the one responsible to listen to you. And now I know that it's like, well, people have said to me, and in my honor and privilege of mentoring people in in therapy for seventeen years, they like, say, "Well, I can't hear myself." Well, if you haven't been listening to something for your whole life, yeah, it takes some practice of. Slowing down and going, okay, even just acknowledging, I can't hear my God. I can't hear my heart. But if you do it for a couple of days, you begin to hear the whisper because that's the way creation, the universe, or God speaks to you. You have a direct. And so when you have placed your power outside of you, begin to listen knowing that you know better for you more than anyone else. And we need community. We need reflections. We need mentors to reflect back to us. So as you look in that mirror, you get to kind of see where you are, right? But you're still the one responsible to take the next step. You're the one responsible to to move in a direction that is nourishing to you, to move in a direction that's true to your heart and to your gut. See, many people would rather be mediocre and stay in that complaining energy, keep on complaining, than move towards something greater, than move towards the unknown. Because in that complaining energy, in that bemoaning energy, that's familiar, right? As I keep keep complaining about my partner that I don't like, or I keep complaining about my job, maybe internally. I know for me, I'm an inward complainer. Like I I don't say it out loud. Like I I I've in the past had a sense of pride about that. You know, I don't bemoan outward, <laughs> but inwards, I can feel myself complaining. And then as I say, well, you know what? Do I want to stay in this complaining energy? And then. That's familiar, right? And and sometimes that means some friendships. You have to put some distance because maybe all you do is complain. All you do is talk about other people. And so we'd rather fit in than be free. We'd rather stay mediocre than move into our true greatness. That's everybody. There's nothing wrong with you if you notice this in yourself. That's everybody. It takes courage to um, open up. To move, to move out of your current way of thinking or paradigm. And so that's why I really loved Sasha Farms last month because Monty and Dorothy, you know, they started the farm in the 70s and 80s and, and um, you know, were labeled and called, you know, it, because it's very weird to go and create something like that. I also love when we bring Brian on, when we talk about John Fetzer and his courage to really move towards what was true to his heart. His his a man in corporate America that that just blows me away. My dear friend Dave Tuscany he he's you know he's definitely somebody I know that has had the courage to do that. But I don't see a lot of men that um, I know they're out there. But I, I like to, for men to, in in the corporate world and all the incredible um, confinements around emotional expression that men have. And and so when a man chooses to Move towards something a little unconventional, and it really, and, and towards his heart, it really impresses me. If you'd like to listen to that interview last month, it's well worth it. Um, I remember brief. I'm just looking here because I, again, just so amazed at, at, at the wisdom that came through on in that interview. Um, just want to make sure I. One more thing I, I know I can hear it I can hear it in the back of my mind, but I, I it was um oh I, yeah, Brees talked about um how he was really um did a beautiful talk about in that interview about the connections and um I know I just did a little talk about that as well, but he, he really explained how connecting to our food and to um animals and the earth were um Inviting us into more peace and more happiness so so that is last month's interview, and um you can click on the archives uh, and let um let yourself enjoy that uh that wisdom <laughs> that's held in last month hmm. all right, so I'd like to move into this month on beautiful Earth and talk about is written by Brian Wilson, PhD it's uh, John E. Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age and I want to talk a little bit about Brian and then I'll have Brian talk about the book and then just see where that unfolds and just give me a moment here there we go So Brian C. Wilson is the author of the new book, Johnny Fetter and the Quest of the New Age. Brian is a professor of American religious history in the Department of Comparative Religion at Western Michigan University. He holds a PhD in religious studies at the University of California, Santa Barbara. After writing an award-winning book on serial inventor and leading Seventh-day Adventist of his time, Dr. John Harvey Kellogg, The Fetzer Institute invited Wilson to write a full-length spiritual biography of its founder, John E. Fetzer. The Kalamazoo-based Fetzer was a radio pioneer, media mogul, and longtime owner of the Detroit Tigers baseball team. But what most people didn't know was that Johnny e. Fetzer was quietly behind the scenes a significant figure in the consciousness movement and a spiritual seeker of the, for more than 60 years. He sought out ways to open the doors of higher consciousness, spiritual empowerment, paranormal insights, and energy medicine to, huma- to humanity through spiritual studies, science, and the influence of wealth at his, di- at his disposal. In John E. Fetzer and the Quest of the New Age, Wilson not only explores the evolution of Fetzer's beliefs, but how he put them into action by permanently endowing three funds that will foster research into the science-spiritual interface for years to come and help cultivate a more peaceful, loving, and inclusive world founded on the principle that we are all connected through one infinite force. Oof. All right, so let me just switch over here and bring on Brian. Takes me a second. There we go. Good Welcome morning. Beautiful work. Good morning. Thank you. I'm
0: great to be here.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's really I'm really grateful that we get to learn about this all this work that you put into this book and about Sir and um, yeah. So thank you so much for, for my pleasure. Um, yeah, for sharing your wisdom and all the work that you. I mean, this is such a resource that you're providing for people. Um, so can you tell us about the book?
0: Mhm. Well, as you mentioned, uh, John Petzer was a Michigan businessman uh, who took a small radio station in Kalamazoo, Michigan, uh, WKZO. It's still on the air, and he basically built that into a media empire. Uh, with uh, radio uh, and uh, television and cable, and he also owned the uh, Detroit Tigers baseball team for almost 30 years. So he was a tremendously successful businessman, and by the time he died, he was uh, one of the 400, 400 wealthiest people in the United States, according to Forbes magazine. So very successful. But what really interests me, since I'm a professor of comparative religion, is that parallel with his business success, he was also on this lifelong spiritual quest. And he basically delved into all sorts of interesting metaphysical traditions. And so the fun thing about the book is you get to learn not only about Fetzer's life and Fetzer's journey but also about uh, metaphysical movements and other spiritual movements in the Midwest during the 20th century. So if you're interested in those topics, this is a great way of of kind of introducing yourself to a wide variety of these different metaphysical movements.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I found that, that it really um, highlighted what was happening in the Midwest. Can you speak on that? Like I've always had mm-hmm. a feeling about the Midwest and and I've always said, but it, I didn't have the, the, you know, the research to back it up of how much I love this area. And I always said the darkest of the dark and it's got the lightest of the light. And I put it, yep. you know, in my terms that the dark served the light in this area. And it was like the, there was just such a, can you speak about that? We um, mm-hmm. spoke to all the, the metaphysical movements in the Midwest.
0: Yeah, well, um, a little bit of background on this, I'm originally, I was born and raised in California, and uh, I always thought that California was the place where all these metaphysical movements originally came from. And so when I moved to uh, Kalamazoo to take the job at Western Michigan University in 1990, uh, I really didn't know a whole lot about the kind of alternative spiritual scene uh, in the history of the Midwest or the history of Michigan. So I started to dig and found that it was an incredibly lively place in terms of alternative religions and spiritual movements uh, way back in the 19th century. So it was a hotbed of spiritualism and theosophy and new thought, the kinds of mind over matter teachings um, that became popular. Um, and uh, psychics and, and divination and all these things were being practiced uh, and available in the Midwest um, beginning in the 19th century and, and throughout the 20th. So there is a vibrant, vibrant kind of metaphysical, uh, almost an underground uh, operating in the Midwest. And its headquarters was really Chicago, because Chicago was the hub of uh, just a major a publishing hub for all sorts of metaphysical um, books and pamphlets and and uh, newspapers and things like that, so I was pleasantly surprised um, coming to Michigan and finding that you know a lot of the spiritual movements that wound up in California actually had their origins here in the midwest and that for me was an mm-hmm. eye opener mm-hmm. mm-hmm.
1: yeah it 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 was uh it felt so validating and confirming for me i i was I was tickled with glee when I re- when I was reading that part of the book i, I uh, <laughs> yes, I love the midwest, I love Michigan, and here's proof <laughs> <laughs> now, a very interesting um, place yeah, yeah and it really mm-hmm. is it really is so brian what as you were writing the book, what parts of the book really spoke to you um what what paralleled your life, like, because it, it seems like this his journey is really the journey of like a, a lot of people, like not just like mm-hmm. what were some themes that you saw that were, um, that were similar.
0: Well, um, uh, one of the interesting things about John Fetzer is that uh, he was you know born and raised a Christian, and uh, baptized a Methodist, and never actually stopped being a Christian of some kind. Uh, but was a Seventh-day Adventist. His mother converted to Seventh-day Adventism, and so he followed her into the church. But in the late Mm -hmm. 20s, um, he decided it just wasn't spiritually fulfilling. So that's when he launched into his metaphysical search. And for me, I think the parallel is that um, when I was in college as an undergraduate, uh, my major was medical microbiology. And the idea was that I was going to go off and go to med school and be a doctor, but I decided I'd better go out and get some experience of the world before I made that commitment. So I joined the Peace Corps, and they sent me off to Honduras for a couple of years and then the Dominican Republic. And I encountered all sorts of uh, interesting religious groups and movements. And, of course, these are two Roman Catholic countries, so I got very interested in, in Roman Catholicism. Um, when I was in Honduras, I, I lived near... Uh, an ancient Mayan city called Copan, so I got interested in Mayan religion. And then when I was in uh, Dominican Republic, uh, I was in a town that had a large Haitian population, so there were people practicing voodoo, which I found very interesting. So at that point, I decided, okay, it's time to you know reorient my life towards something more interesting than medicine at this point. And so that's why I came back and got a PhD in religious studies, and basically have devoted my life to the mm. study of the new religious movements ever since.
1: Mm. 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 What an amazing life story! That it's, I I could spend the whole interview just asking you about what you just said, but I know we're focusing on the book. <laughs> so uh-huh. I'll have to bring you on just interview you you personally cause,
0: <laughs> cause Oh, I'd be I, happy. Um... Yeah,
1: happy to. <laughs> so um in, in in focusing on the book um what um so so like like the, the the as you described like how he kept on searching and searching and searching um and each and, and didn't give up that's just that's so inspiring to me, so amazing to me what what do you think dro- drove John in his quest to um, learn like what was like what do you think drove john? <sighs>
0: Well, I think there were a number of factors, but um one of the most important was that um he you know began his career as a radio engineer um so he was fascinated with science um But his first encounter with radio was with a little tiny crystal set, a really kind of primitive radio back in the nineteen teens <laughs> and he was just <laughs> fascinated that you could pull voices and music and all this stuff just right out of the air. And late in life, he, was, he talked about how that kind of um, inspired him to start thinking about, well, you know, if there are these, these empirical energies out there, this electromagnetic radiation, maybe there are spiritual energies as well that connect up to a kind of spectrum of energies. And so I think part of his metaphysical quest was to look for uh, a tradition that really helped him harmonize science and spirituality. And so that always became a key theme for him throughout his life.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Do you think he achieved that of being able to create a like in his institution, create a space where he could um, invite people into that awareness, or what?
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Do you think? He, yeah, do you think he achieved that?
0: Well, I think um, to his own satisfaction, I think he did um, by the end of his life, and part of this had to do with the fact that um, he. He's an interesting businessman because he was tremendously successful, but I don't think he was ever really comfortable with his wealth. And he was Mm. always thinking about, well, you know, to make this spiritually meaningful, this wealth has to have some kind of purpose. And so Mm. near the end of his life, in the 70s and 80s, he began to liquidate his businesses. And he used that money to fund a foundation, which is today's Fetzer Institute. Um, to kind of devote to these kinds of issues. So in the beginning, uh, in the 1970s, he funded a a lot of research into parapsychology, so psychokinesis and and ESP and those kinds of things. And at the end of the 70s, he he got kind of frustrated by that research because it really wasn't progressing very fast. And so Mm -hmm. he changed the mission of the Fetzer Institute uh, towards uh alternative medicine, holistic medicine and energy medicine. And so that became a dominant focus, uh um, alternative medicine, holistic medicine for the Fetzer Institute, um, well beyond his death into the nineteen nineties. Mm,
1: mm-hmm. mm, mm. Mm. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What what do you say, like as um as as I read the book, I, I, I wondered this question of what uh, John Setzer would have described God as from his original search and then how it evolved. What would he have? Mm-hmm. And you did, you, did, you did give quotes, direct quotes of how he did that, but um, mm-hmm. maybe this is too big of a question. But how did, how did his definition of God start and then where did it end?
0: Well, um, he was, you know, went to Sunday school, and so he was a kind of orthodox theist and, you know, believed that God was a personality in heaven um, that you basically have to please uh, in order to make the successful transformation or transition from life to death. And over time, again, that kind of anthropomorphic God didn't quite fit with his spiritual and scientific worldview that he was developing. So he really came to uh, a kind of monistic position that the universe is simply all spirit and that there's a great central source, a kind of non-anthropomorphic God at the center of it emanating mm-hmm. out these energies. And he always thought in the metaphor of energies, these spiritual energies, and that if people wanted um, health and happiness and, and enlightenment, they needed to tune themselves into these energies. So he went from a very traditional mm-hmm. theist position uh, to uh, a much more radical kind of um, non-anthropomorphic God. And he still referred to it as God, but he also talked about it as the father of radiation or the great central source, or sometimes he used the metaphor from Theosophy, the great central sun. So for him, it was a, a kind of radical shift um, from his his childhood to his his mature thought.
1: Hmm, hmm, hmm. What, um, if you don't mind me asking, what is Brian Wilson's definition for God?
0: Well, you know, I don't know. Um, I characterize myself as a, uh, as a kind of agnostic seeker. So I, I sit on the mm-hmm. fence. I'm very mm-hmm. attracted to, you know, studying metaphysical and spiritual movements and alternative religions and just religion in general. Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't quite come to a conclusion and I'm comfortable with that because you know, I'm thinking in in John Petcher's case this is also the case that, you know, it's a cliche, but it's it's more about the journey than the destination. So maybe at some point I'll have kind of coalesced an idea of what God is and and come up with some kind of definition I'm comfortable with. But for the time being I'm I'm still seeking, still searching. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: To to be so well studied and 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 to uh, know about so many different religions, I I'm thinking some people would hear that I don't know and be like, "What? He doesn't know if he doesn't know, I can." <laughs> <laughs> then, well, uh, that's... The... my heart. Yeah, but but go ahead, go ahead.
0: Well, I oh, for me uh, that's a good thing, yeah. Because
1: yeah, and, um... yeah, yeah, and that's yeah, and that, mm-hmm. and I I think that is a good thing too. Like when my heart hears you. Um I really get that. I get that it's it's actually living in the mystery and that's like uh, mm-hmm. uh a cliche statement but it really means a lot to me living in the mystery and out of history that when you're really open to mm-hmm. what's available now or you're open to the mystery um and really say well I don't know but I'm I'm here and I'm present and I'm uh that you're actually I I experience it for me like I'm more available to whatever that energy you want to call it god universe christ the uh, the earth mm-hmm. that it's um when i think that i know i actually shut off a my mind closes down and so that's right. um being on the yeah yeah so being on the fence and saying well i'm just in the journey is actually a um you know the wise the the wise man says i don't know <laughs> <laughs> Well, maybe at some
0: point, maybe at some point it will become so clear to me that I'll, you know, basically say this is it. Um, But part of me kind of hopes that doesn't happen because I really enjoy the search. I really enjoy, you know, studying Mm. just a variety of religious traditions. And the great thing about being a professor of comparative religions is I get to do this for a living. I get to basically do this kind of um, seeking For a living, and and basically, I get to um, open my students' eyes to this as well. Mm -hmm. So, when I teach in class, my goal is always to present a religious tradition, not in order to judge it. I mean, students can go out of the classroom and do that, but to understand it and understand it from the inside. Mm -hmm. And I think it's so tremendously important um, that, you know, before we have our kind of knee jerk judgments, uh, we need to understand what people believe in practice. Um, and I think that's one of the keys to, you know, getting along with our neighbors or getting along with the rest of the world is to uh, understand where they're coming from and to basically enter into their worldview as much as you can.
1: Mm, 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 well said. Mm. Um, oh, just beautiful. When... when um... Looking at the book and and John Fetzer's courage to, to to continue to be a seeker in the early nineteen you know nineteen teens and to, mm-hmm. to yeah I mean that's so radical that he he stepped out of the cultural paradigm or the cultural or his his traditional religion and went towards this um, I mean that's that that that, that I don't know what to say about that, but that, that seems to me like I, that was my biggest takeaway from the book is watching mm-hmm. how he, he had the, and I don't know if courage is the word, but the, the tenaciousness, the devotion, the, um, the fire to be able to continue his search for 60 years and, mm-hmm. and, um, and, and really go towards um, asking, you know, I keep on asking, well, what's more, what's more in life and, God and, and all these different paranormal things he researched and really kept his heart and his mind open. It was just, um, it's like chapter after chapter. It was like, okay, now he's now he's researching this and now he's researching. That. And I don't yeah, know. You know and I guess I, I. Yeah, go ahead.
0: Well, uh, um, I think for him, I mean, it was. I think it was tenaciousness, but it was also courage as well. And it's kind of interesting because throughout most of his spiritual search, um, only his closest friends really knew that he was exploring these kinds of things. And I think Mm. part of that was he was a private person by nature, but he was also worried that um, being a public personality – that in conservative West Michigan, which tends to be pretty uh, conservative religiously, um, people might misunderstand this, and uh, he might actually lose advertisers or or listeners. So he was very careful throughout most of his life until uh, he got into his 70s. And at that point, this is when he started liquidating or thinking about liquidating his businesses. uh, He became much more open about his metaphysical search. So at the end of his life, he felt confident enough to basically kind of come out and basically say, this is the kind of stuff I'm into, um, which in and of itself took a certain amount of courage, um, because this is the 1970s. I mean, he talked about himself as a new ager back in the 1960s, you know, uh, almost 20 years before that term became prevalent uh, in the American Mm. consciousness. So, yeah, I think he was a very courageous, very shrewd, very cautious and careful but also very courageous person when it came to his um spiritual development.
1: Mhm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like he got he got to his 70s and he says, "You know what? I'm I'm old and I'm going to do what I want and I don't care what you yep. think." <laughs>
0: well, a good example of this is that um in the 1970s, he'd been talking for years about meditation. Um but he had never actually adopted a, a meditation practice. So in the 1970s, he got involved in transcendental meditation and began mm-hmm. uh, PM. And he was a great friend of the Maharishi Yogi and advised, advised him on, uh, you know, radio and TV and how to get out the TM message. But and Fetzer and his wife Rhea practiced TM for years. Um, mm-hmm. At a certain point, Fetzer decided he 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 was very careful not to bring in his his metaphysical beliefs into the Detroit Tigers into the baseball club. But in this one case, he decided that, well, maybe the players would benefit from transcendental meditation. So he introduced it to them in spring training one year. And mm-hmm. some, it was perfectly voluntary. I mean, it's not coerced. It was simply, this is available if you're interested. And three or four of the players took it up and began practicing it and found it was tremendously useful, um, not only in their lives, but also in their, in their game. So Fetzer got some flack for this. The sports writers thought it was very funny, um, but today, if a you know big league ball player or an athlete at that level said that they're meditating, nobody would bat an eye. I mean, it's become so mm-hmm. accepted. But mm-hmm. back in the '70s, mm-hmm. you know, this was this this took a little bit of courage to basically do this.
1: Mm-hmm. what a pioneer in here. And that. Today, it would it, no one would bat an eye if, if a, a major league player was um, meditating. That is, and and you yeah. also, I, I think it's changed too. It's a bit in the corporate world. Do you think, like, if if mm-hmm. meditation is mentioned or you're not um, immediately, you know, thought that you're a wacko?
0: Right. I mean, it's actually become uh, kind of a big topic uh, under the heading of mindfulness. Um, now, mm-hmm. whether mindfulness is actually meditation or just a kind of stripped down secularized version of it. And people are debating that, but uh, mm. you know, even meditation with a, you know, um, a spiritual context is no longer within business scene as something that's um, odd or, or strange. Hmm. Mm
1: yeah that it 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 really is uh, inspiring to see how people are more open and uh the the conversation has definitely expanded and uh mm-hmm. thanks to people like like John Fetzer and his and the John Fetzer Institute and your book and all these people that are um Coming out of the spiritual closet, so to speak, and mm-hmm. letting, letting people know that there's 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 other ways of looking at the world. You yeah. spoke in the the very end, end of the book about how um, originally John's um, in, that the Fester Institute and his teachings were about. Um, Developing your inner self your self awareness mm-hmm. inner growth, so that you could be in service to the world, but then right. it shifted being very individualistic. Could you speak on that a bit
0: well um I think the the um what the thing that really distinguishes John Fetzer is that he always believes that individual spiritual transformation and growth was tremendously important, but only if it basically led to uh, a global spiritual transformation. So he always thought mm. about it not in terms of just simply the individual. Um, but that the new age would essentially occur when enough individuals had basically developed themselves spiritually that it would catalyze a global spiritual transformation. So for him, it wasn't about necessarily the individual development. That's important. But there was always this larger social goal, and that's continued to be um, the mission of the Fetzer Institute today. Um, Unfortunately, um, one of the reasons why people don't like the new age label anymore is because it's become identified with a kind of hyper-individualistic and very commercialized kind of practice that some people see as shallow and others see as narcissistic. And it's cut off from this larger kind of social service that Fetzer thought was so important. So I think if Fetzer were alive today, um, he'd be kind of appalled by some of the developments that have occurred, that Mm -hmm. there's kind of loss Mm -hmm. of this sense of social service, um, although he'd never despair. He was always tremendously optimistic. And hopefully individual so, uh, you know, spiritual practice would somehow, even if people weren't, that wasn't the larger goal, would lead to uh, global spiritual transformation. But the thing about the Fetzer Institute is it, it's really institutionalized this dual vision of both individual and global spiritual transformation. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's... um. So the, yeah and i I'm happy to hear that the Fetzer Institute is still keeping that focus and um and embodying what uh John originally was was hoping to bring forward and that's and and that they're not moving into a spiritual narcissism or spiritual bypassing that is so i feel too so prevalent that it's mm-hmm. it's like well how how is your inner work moving you into love and action how is it helping right. you to be in service to your your family and to it's like I I see so many people that are asking what's my purpose what's my purpose while their their loved one in front of them is suffering or their neighbor is suffering I'm like um you've got people around you that need help mm-hmm. that might be your purpose right now
0: there you go <laughs> like, yeah
1: it's like it's like there's not a there's not a um I don't know there's like the it, it baffles me that it's like unless there's a lot of Facebook likes or there's a um you know the next big thing that they a person it's like no, your purpose is to love and and to be a service mm-hmm. and that's and and yes, your inner growth is important, but it's um yeah, I think he would be appalled too because I know i am I am pretty appalled at 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 um how I, not only spirituality, but I, for me, I believe that like I see religion separating people. That's like, well, let's just mm-hmm. pray for them. Well, yeah, prayer is powerful as heck, but maybe, maybe if you actually did something or took action, that would that would be really helpful as well.
0: Yep. <laughs> so no, in, no, I agree. Um, yeah,
1: yeah. It's um, what do you what do you the term spiritual bypassing? I think it was originally spoken by Robert Augustus Masters. How do you define that?
0: um I, i've actually not heard the term spiritual bypassing
1: yes yeah, spiritual bypassing where you um just um kind of put pink paint on a, you put pink paint out over an issue that's happening oh just send them love and light or just put it in your oh i know. see
0: i see yeah yeah after school or, shootings there's always thoughts and prayers
1: yeah. Yes, where I'm not just, I, I think prayer is very, very powerful. Or
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, somebody feeling emotion, and rather than looking at it directly and having a healthy psychological grounding, they just right. kind of uh, ignore that it's there, and and um, either use religion or spirituality to kind of ignore ignore mm-hmm. the red flags that are happening inside of them and outside of them. Well, but, I think what uh, it does
0: is it creates a greater sense of helplessness. Of you know we're we're so overwhelmed by some of the big issues today, you know political issues or environmental issues or other things, um, that it's easy just to kind of turn inside, and and try and ignore the world. Um, so I think the spiritual mm-hmm. bypassing is a good it's a good metaphor because that's exactly what you're doing. You're you're bypassing the, the immediate problems, and not taking action. But you think you're doing something by doing prayer or meditation or whatever, um, but that in and of itself, of course, is it's it, it's spiritually motivated action that's important, not just spirituality. Mm-hmm. And I think that's key. Key.
1: Spiritually motivated action. Oof. Mm-hmm. Ooh, that's a powerful. Okay, I'm gonna quote you on that one for next month. <laughs>
0: okay. Great. <laughs> I like that.
1: Yeah. 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 Um mm, mhm what do you and I also like that you pointed out that it if you're if you're praying praying, praying, meditating, meditating, but not taking spiritually motivated action and not not action that's inspired by fear or worry or trying to mm-hmm. fix another, but spiritually motivated action, and if you're not doing that. I love that you pointed out that creates a sense of hopelessness and helplessness in people. Like, because so yes. many people are living in that state of hopelessness right now, it's 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 an epidemic.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I I really see this. Um, my wife is a professor of environmental studies, and the 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 what the impending catastrophe of climate change. It's hard to get people motivated. She works with um, uh, religious groups and congregations that um, mm. do environmental projects. And so for her, it's, you know, how do you get congregations motivated to do this in the face of uh, just the enormity of the problem? And you think with religious groups, it would be easy because they would have these spiritual resources. But in some cases, you basically have to reawakening that, reawaken, that kind of um, spiritual energy uh, to get people motivated to do even limited projects in, in, uh, you know, in earth care or environmental care. Mm, mm,
1: that is so fascinating that, that, that she, she's, she's not, not, she's experiencing the, that it's hard to get religious or spiritual groups motivated due to simple action. And that, um, mm-hmm. wow. And that she's taken on that mantle to do that. That's uh of course, uh, my podcast being called "Beautiful Earth, I'm very um interested in what's happening in the earth and animals and food, and so that's yeah that's, that's really yeah. fascinating, yeah, oh wow, um but there are
0: you know small things we can do um I was listening to your intro about um knowing where our food comes from, you know, and that's so okay. tremendously important uh, because there you can actually take direct action and and effect change.
1: Mhm mhm yeah it's and and it uh it's such a, a simple but profound way of to uh influence what is what is the, what's gonna be, uh what's going to be sold to us and what's taken into your body and and also mm-hmm. like I was saying a way of connected yeah yeah that's right so, so so Brian with um somebody reading the book and and what would you feel is um you would want someone to take away from reading the book about John Fetzer's life?
0: Here is that you can combine business and spirituality in a, in a, um, a healthy way something that leads Mm. to a great kind of spiritual purpose. Um, So I think that's tremendously important. Um, John Fetzer was tremendously wealthy, but he also lived a very frugal life um, because he always thought it was, you know, it's it's the mission, it's not the money. The money will, he always said that money was energy. And it was energy mm-hmm. to do work in the world. And the work can be good or it can be bad. And it really depends on the spiritual intention behind it. So I think that's important. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially in, you know, the global environment in which the market is everything and competition is everything. Um, there's a higher kind of, uh, hopefully, a higher purpose for all. Fetcher's life of how that can work out, um, for a kind of higher spiritual purpose.
1: Mm Hmm. Mm. Hmm. Oh, well said. I love that, that, that he said that it wasn't about the money, it was about the mission and that money is energy. And that's, um, that's like a, really short profound uh course 101 on prosperity and making change in the world mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> go towards yeah the, see a need see a need and meet it and go towards a, have a mission in your life and know that money is energy and um yeah boy did he demonstrate that in his living and yeah. what he was able to accomplish hmm. what do you feel so so um if people want to read the book where can they get the book
0: well, the book is on amazon.com and barnesandnoble.com and online booksellers. And it's available as a hardback and as uh, as an ebook, And it's published by Wayne mm. State University Press. And if people are interested, um, they can go to a website, infinitepotential.com. And mm. that's actually the website for an organization called the Fetzer Memorial Trust, which is a branch of the Fetzer Institute. Uh, and part of their mission is to preserve the, the legacy of John Fetzer. And if you go to InfinitePotential.com, you can also download a free PDF of the preface and first chapter of the book. Um, so that will give you a chance to take a look if you're interested. And if people are interested in the programs that the Fetzer Institute is doing, uh, you can go to Fetzer. F E T Z E R dot org. And there uh, is uh, a really interesting discussion of the kinds of programs they're doing today.
1: Mm. 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 Thank you for that. What an incredible resource. And it's, uh, I, I didn't even know about the Fetzer Institute until I got the joy of reading your book and connecting to oh. John. And it was, yeah, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is right. Another incredible resource in the Midwest I didn't even know about. So it was such a, It was, I was so happy to, to, to to discover that and discover, I don't know if that's the right word because it was, it was right, you know, right in my backyard. Um, Brian, what do you, so as we, we wrap up the interview here, what would you, what do you feel is your, um, I guess, let's see, how do I frame this question? What would you Mm -hmm. feel would be, you would really like people to know, uh, it with what's going on in the world and with all your religious studies and what do you think would be the message you would like to leave on the planet? Uh, what would, what would be Brian Wilson's message?
0: Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I think the message would simply be that there are more people of goodwill out there than not. And that one of the ways of reaching them is by understanding their spiritual outlook so I hope mm-hmm. through, you know, my work as a professor, my work as a teacher in comparative religion, uh, I'm aiding people in not only learning about other religious traditions, but in doing so with connecting in meaningful ways with other people. So hopefully that, that I've, you know, accomplished just a little bit of that, hopefully.
1: <laughs> oh, I, I, you most certainly have, my friend. Wow, that's what an incredible message to understand people is to understand their spirituality. Or can, can you say that again? To to understand, is that what you said? You to understand people, to so mm-hmm. understand their spirituality. Yeah. Yeah. Well, oh, to that's...
0: understand people, you have to understand their spirituality. But through their spirituality, you can make real connections with people.
1: Mm. 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 What an inclusive way of seeing the world, and a, a definitely more uh, make room for and that it makes room for everybody on the planet, not just a not just a small group
0: <laughs> that's right that's right, yeah we're all on the same planet, and it's a small place
1: <laughs> well, thank you so much for sharing this wisdom and writing the book and I hope to um do My another pleasure. interview with you yeah, and it might even be advantageous to bring on you and your wife. that might be an incredible fun uh podcast of uh wisdom sharing. And um so thank you so much, Brian, and and uh just My many, pleasure. many blessings to you and your work and to this book.
0: Thank you very much. It was it was great to talk to you.
1: Thank you. All right, everybody, that was Brian Wilson with a book uh, written about John Fetzer's life. And I really enjoyed that interview. It really, I really learned a lot. I hope you did, too. Um, the book, again, is Johnny Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age by Brian C. Wilson, Ph.D. And like he said, you can go on Amazon. You can go and... Uh, Infinite Potential is the website and if you google that and you can get the first chapter of the book Um, and I really think if you if you're listening to this and you know any men in your life that would like to be inspired that it's possible to really go towards if they they're maybe a little cautious or scared about going on their spiritual path and Want a little uh, be um, an incredible living example and mentor. I think Johnny Fetzer is a great example, and I think Brian Wilson is an incredible example as well. Very inspiring men, and um, I know I bought the book actually for a few of the man, uh, friends, and I think it's great for women too. But I just it was really touched by that, and um, I'm really grateful for this interview and and really showing me that uh, it really inspired me to. Uh, understand uh, understand people deeper. And I hope it, it, it did that for you as well. Um, so as we wrap up the interview today and the podcast, I just want to, all of us to take a moment and take a breath together and to remember that who and what you are is already whole, already complete. That if we keep on trying to get there, we'll never get there because there is a right here, right here in this moment that you can, in the next breath, be available to more good, more beauty, more love that wants to express in, as, and through you. That there is so much, there's so much beauty, so much love, so much creativity waiting to express through you. And if we can take a moment to be still, to accept more of ourselves, to love all parts of ourselves, that we really create an avenue or a space for this energy, this cosmic force, this divinity, whatever your word of connection or access point is to express in your living and in your moving and in your being, to live, move and have your being in love and in creativity. But for me, I also believe it starts with acceptance, and that as you you stop playing an energetic ping pong match with the conditions around you or the pain, the incredible pain inside you. And you bring the ointment of acceptance or the willingness to see that pain or that condition around you with compassion. Or as Brian said, understand, be willing to understand things to not have the mind so locked in trying to wrestle that pain to the ground or wrestle that condition you don't like to the ground. And as you bring the ointment of understanding or compassion or acceptance, again, you create an opening, an availability, a receptivity of not trying to get but to let, and not trying to heal but to reveal, and you allow a space for miracles to occur. And whether you put the word miracle or creative intelligence knowing that a cut on your arm knows how to heal without you telling it what to do. And right now, if you even breathe into the energy that is beating your heart, you begin to access an intelligence and harmony and order that is constantly wanting to happen in your life, my life. It's, it's there. It's waiting. It's, it's, it's in us all. Nobody's broken, and there's no throwbacks in the bunch. You're not a mistake. There is goodness waiting to happen in your life and through you. So, thank you so much for listening to this interview. You can go to my website if you'd like to uh, work with me or you'd like to join in the self acceptance process training. I get to mentor. I get the joy of mentoring you for a year. That's starting in November. You can go to com,
0: and it is spelled
1: like Barbara Streisand, B-A-R-B-R-A-White.com, and you click on the self-acceptance process certification, and you can check out that. And I, I, I work with a small group every year, just seven or eight people, and we go on this incredible journey together. So if that calls to your heart, you're welcome to check that out. And please also download it and give it to a friend. It's really great material. Johnny Fetzer and the Quest for the New Age. Many blessings to you, and thank you so much for listening, and I hope you have an incredible day. Take care.